Cradio.org.au I would like to talk to you at length. I would like to listen to you and know what you think about yourselves and the world. But the time I have been given is so short. You who feel the need for healing, the need for love, the need for a friend, for Christ. Perhaps I love you more. Living the Legacy, an exploration of the charisms of Blessed John Paul II with Sister Bernadette Pike. Welcome back to Cradio. This is Sister Bernadette Pike speaking. I'm a John Paul II sister, and this is the fifth talk in a series on the spirit of John Paul II. We're basically looking at John Paul II's charism, his way of being in the world, way of being in relationship with God, with others, with himself. We're taking some time to go through together on what this looks like. In the last talk, we were looking at the importance and the relevance of this way of being as it pertains to being in relationship. The first talk, we were looking at the way of being in terms of the personal dimension, that it's a way of being through the person, whether it's through our own person, through other people. This is the way that we come into contact with the person with a capital P. Now we're looking at the dimension that relates to being in relationship and the importance of that for the human person. In the uh, last talk, we, we looked at what does it mean to participate in the humanity of the other person and why, why is that necessary? Now we want to look at this being in relationship with the other person how is that different? How is John Paul II's way of being in relationship with others? How does that relate to this proclamation of the gospel? So remember when we were talking about the central messages of the Second Vatican Council, in his opening speech, Pope John XXIII said that the divine providence is leading us to a new order of human relations. And he also said that it's not so much the teaching of the church that we need to work on, but the way that it's communicated, the way that the gospel is proclaimed to other people. So now we want to look at this way of being in relationship with others, the importance of being in relationship. How does that affect this proclamation of the gospel, this this proclaiming of Christ to other people? And we know if you're involved in evangelization work within the church, we know from an experiential point of view that relationship is very, very important. For people to encounter Christ, their relationship is crucial. Even if you're not necessarily involved in evangelization, it's some other work in the church. You know, if I want to get people to come to an event, to be interested in an event, I have to begin with relationships. There's, I'm not going to be able to just attract them without some kind of personal connection or some way of relating to their personal experience to provoke the interest that's necessary for them to be able to come to help them to realize why it would be helpful for them to come. So we're going to have a look at that now. What, how did it look different for John Paul II? Well, the first is that for John Paul II, there's a real emphasis on dialogue. So you 
perhaps you've read JP2's writings and you thought, why doesn't he just get to the point? What is he going on about? (laughs) Can't he just succinctly put it down into a few points like St. Thomas Aquinas did in his Summa? Why can't he just put down the points so I can understand what he's saying? But you see, this is not his style. He adopts what he refers to as a heuristic method in his descriptions or in his submissions about Gaudium et Spes during Vatican II. He talked about how the document had to adopt a heuristic method in terms of not just preaching the gospel to someone else, but helping that other person to discover the truth and to make it their own. So, And this is John Paul II's approach. He believes that you have the capacity to do this, to discover the truth yourself and to be able to integrate it, to be able to help it to become part of your lived experience, to live it out. And he knows that this is the best for you in the long run so that you don't just know something with your head, but you know it concretely in your heart because you've experienced it and you can live it out. So let's use a concrete example to bring this to life. Let's say, for example, I'm dealing with someone with a problem. They come to me and they describe to me a problem that they're going through. Someone is coming to them all the time and asking them for something and they just always say yes and they're getting really tired of it. They feel used. They they feel like they don't even want to be friends with the person anymore because it's just too much for them. They're taking advantage of them. Now, the first thing as you're listening to this person's problems, the first thing that pops into your head will is usually or could be you come up with an immediate solution. How often does this happen? It's really interesting that the more we become conscious of when we're doing it, when we listen to people who have problems, it's hard to see them suffering. So our gut reaction is to give them the problem, especially if we're of the male gender. It's even more prominent within us to do that. We want to be able to help the person, provide a solution, fix the problem and be able to move on. But can you imagine how that would feel for this other person who's just started to describe their problem If I just suddenly interrupted them and said, well, why don't you just say no? Apart from feeling like they haven't been heard and understood properly, they haven't had the opportunity to own their own problem, to identify what it is and the solution that that might be necessary to come up with that themselves, to see why it's relevant, why it's necessary. So the solution may not make sense to them. It makes perfect sense to us, but it may be completely... um, out of the ballpark for them because it's it's just not where they were at and it will almost certainly be resisted because they haven't really been able to share with you properly an alternative approach would be for me to be able to sit and attend or for us to be able to sit and attend to the person to listen to what they're saying to ask questions to clarify what the experience is like for them we might say well What is this person asking of you? What is it like for you? What would it be like for you to say no to that person? How hard is that? Did you grow up in a family where you you always said yes and that was what you did in your family? We ask them questions in order to be able to clarify what their experience is like. And we listen to them articulate the details of their consciousness. We learn about their memories what they're aware of and their perception of the events, their feelings, all of this is what constitutes 
the data of consciousness. Now, for, zo- for those of you that are philosophers, you can see here the influence of the philosophy of phenomenology on John Paul II in his way of relating to other people. We can see that when he studied phenomenology, he wrote a dissertation on Max Scheler. And when he studied phenomenology, he saw this key for the church in carrying out her work that phenomenology basically is a philosophy where you enter into the phenomena, the data of that person's experience, and you come to the answers to existential questions through that process. So let me just continue and it will become obvious what I mean. So in his um, book, The Acting Person, which is his um, major philosophical work on the person, John Paul II says that action reveals the person Action gives us the best insight into the inherent essence of the person and allows us to understand them most fully. So this is, this is a really key thing to understand. So I can't just say, oh, well, you're this particular temperament and you're a lawyer and you're a mum and so therefore you must be da 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 I can't jump to conclusions. I really have to be exposed to the your behavior, your actions, I have to be with you to start to understand who you are as a person. So we're not like machines where a malfunction can be fixed by following the right procedure, clicking the right button. Each person is different and when we listen to their experiences, it helps us to understand that God might be speaking to them differently than he is speaking to other people. And even in relation to our own selves, when we examine our conscience, when we reflect on our daily experiences and we really allow all the data of our consciousness to come into our mind, we can see that it's, it's God just doesn't speak one message to, in a sense it is one message, and that one message is the person of Christ, but he also is speaking personally into the particularities of our, of our day into us personally and also into this person that we're with at the moment that we're referring to. So as the person feels comfortable to share the details of what they're going through, it's very natural that this leads to certain questions that are pertinent to their understanding of what's happening for them, why it's happening and how they can move forward. So they're questions like, well, why is this so painful for me? Why would God allow this to happen to me? How can I change? And for this particular person that we're talking about, it might be, for example, well, why do they treat me like that? Why does she, why, why does she always want stuff from me? Why doesn't anyone actually look after me? Why doesn't anyone love me like the way that I love that person? So you can see these, these questions are very, very important. And Christ is, of course, at work at all these moments. And so for John Paul II, he, in one quote, he refers to St. John of the Cross and he said, St. John of the Cross knew how to introduce people to familiar conversation with God by teaching them to discover his presence and his love in all circumstances, whether favourable or unfavourable, in moments of fervour and in moments of apparent abandonment alike. This is from John Paul II's Apostolic Letter on the 14th of December 1990. So when we genuinely listen to people and give them a chance to explain what they are going through, when we allow their problems to become our own and we're docile to the Holy Spirit, we're going to be able to begin to hear, to see what the Lord might be saying to that person. To identify what Pope Benedict calls the Creator's handwriting is imprinted in their experiences. 
it's imprinted on their heart. The truth of from God is imprinted on their hearts. It's found in a well-formed conscience. And it's confirmed by the church's teaching. But it's written into this experience that they're giving us. So if I really am docile to the Holy Spirit working in that particular moment, I'm going to be in a pretty good position to be able to make a link between that person's subjective experiences and object of truth and revelation. So for this particular person, I might say, for example, it sounds to me like you're, um, you're feeling really burnt out and that you, there's a need within you to be really loved and supported, that this situation's awakening within you and awareness that there's some kind of need within you that isn't being fulfilled. I wonder if you've, if the person's Catholic, we can do this more directly. I wonder if you've thought about the whole idea of going off into the desert and praying for a little while, like Jesus did, like taking some time out from the times that you do help people and serve people to go and to say no to those people for, I'm just maybe just go and be with the Lord to receive from him or even just to be able to, ask from other people is that a difficult thing for you or so what i'm doing is i'm i'm bringing the the truth of revelation the scripture or it could be other teachings of the church into that person's concrete lived experience and out of concern not because i'm trying to fix their problems but because i'm trying to help them to identify what christ might be saying to them through that experience so hopefully that makes sense it's okay so Let's think of other times maybe when John Paul II is doing this same thing. So, so we know that we don't necessarily find a succinct outline of doctrine in John Paul II's writings, but we can find lots of stories. We won't be able to find where he lists what the dignity of human man is, but instead we can see where he is talking about that dignity revealed in a story just as Jesus did too with parables. It's not like this is happening for the first time in John Paul II. Jesus did this too with parables. He invited people into a story. If JP2 can't be with us in person listening to our story, then through his writings, etc., he invites us into the story of others like Adam and Eve and Theology of the Body or the story of the rich young man in the Gospels that he so often made reference to or even in the lives of the saints whom he directed our attention to. These stories are at some level the story of every person in the human family. He wants us to discover in these stories that which is common to the experience of every man. In each of the stories he uses, he highlights Christ's response to the person's deepest yearnings, their fears. So as we enter into the story, allow what is common to resonate within us, we can see what Christ is saying to us. So it's not just a, an abstract tr truth that he's presenting to us. It's actually the person of Christ in the scriptures. When he uses the scriptures, we, we see the experience of the person and then we see revelation himself, Jesus Christ, answering the questions that come from that experience. So, if, for example, with the rich young man, we can identify with his desire to do the right thing, to please God, to enter heaven. We can also relate to his sadness and the difficulty in letting go of those things that we're attached to, the things we replace Christ with and seek comfort from. But with the rich young man, we hear Christ's words to us also, give away what you own to the poor and come and follow me. We also, if we enter into it, we can see that 
Jesus is looking at us too, not just this rich young man, but looking at us and loving us and enabling us to give up everything and to come and follow him. So this is one of the reasons why scripture was so important to blessed John Paul II. He knew that we can read the stories of our brothers and sisters that have gone before us and in them we can see the questions that arise within the hearts of all humans and that we can see the response that Christ gives. The more we pray with the scriptures and assimilate the teachings of Christ, the more we put on the mind of Christ and are better ready to give ourselves and others an answer to the questions they have, as Peter says. Be ready with an an answer to the problems and questions that people come to you with, the first letter of St. Peter. This is an essential part of our own formation, our own learning to integrate the gospel into our own daily experiences. When we reflect on our experiences at the end of the day to try and see God at work, it's really important that, that the meditation, prayerful meditation of scripture is part of that so that we can learn to, as we say, to put on the mind of Christ. And the more we do this, the more we are going to be able to respond to people's problems with the wisdom of the gospel, not just necessarily in the gospel of the like religious language, but we'll be able to present that divine wisdom to that person. But really what we're trying to do is to help them to discover it, to help them to discover it in their own, the circumstances of their own life. But we can do that in a way that relates to their experience. Now, this particular method that I'm describing to you is so effective. We can see that John Paul II was so effective. Part of the reason is that is because from the secure relationship and attachment that we have with that person, they're more receptive to divine revelation. They trust us. And because their experiences has come more to the forefront of their mind, they're more conscious of what's going on. It's easier for them to to see God at work and to be more open to that. So, It's through personal relationships. So the topic that we're on at the moment is the importance of personal relationships. It's through these personal relationships that we most effectively perceive truth. And I want to really encourage you to to try to put this into practice a little bit more when you come away from this. At the end of each day, to reflect on your experiences, to ask God to show you what he's saying to you through those experiences, to study the scriptures. And if through prayer... There might be a person that you're really frustrated with on an ongoing basis. If you don't really understand what the Lord's saying to you, find a wise person. doesn't necessarily have to be a spiritual director, but find a wise person that might be able to help you point out your blind spots and to understand what God is saying to you. Um, Not only do we perceive the truth better, but we're also able to integrate the truth better into our own lived experiences. So once I perceive what God's saying, I'm better able to live that out. Why? Because we can put it into a, contact, a context, it's not just an abstract truth anymore. It's actually, it's relevant to me. It fits into my own life story. So um, perhaps I can use the example of a teaching method here. We can look at the difference between a lecturer who talks at, at their class for 45 minutes, rushing to get through their notes and inattentive to the responses of the students to their material. The students may have had questions, but the style of teaching doesn't accommodate this. The way of the church prior to Vatican II was similar to this. She was teaching it, but she wasn't necessarily attentive to the sorrows and the joys, to what was going on interiorly for man. 
And now at one point in history, this way of teaching the faith might have been effective because it was being taught to a person who was saturated with a Catholic culture. The family was practicing, they were surrounded by Catholic people. So when the material was presented, it can be immediately put into a context. I might need to learn what particular words mean, like accidents and substance, but the ideas aren't new. It's being talked about in my family and it's more common just to be, accept what was presented. And nowadays it's completely different because I don't have a Catholic environment. I don't understand the words that are being used. I need to be able to see those abstract principles in my own daily experiences and my concrete experiences. So this is a great challenge for teachers nowadays, whether they're teaching science, philosophy, theology, English, the key concepts that we want to communicate, we need to be able to help that young person to put it in the the context of their everyday life. In a book written for bishops, Pope John Paul II reminded them that as a church, quote, we need to understand the experiences of the people around us and the language they use to communicate. This is an important task for the church. We fully realize that catechesis cannot rely solely on abstract concepts. JP2 understood that for someone to learn something concretely, it has to be integrated into their actions. In other words, the person has to own it and take concrete steps to enacting it. JP2's classes were a dialogue between him and his students. He asked questions and he engaged them in what he was teaching. And it didn't stop in the classroom, but extended out to his hiking and camping trips with young people and families. So in finishing this section, there is an urgent need for us to understand why relationships are so important to help people to understand that and then to help them to learn how to live in community, to become, as John Paul II says, people of communion. And in order to do this, to build the communion that we're talking about, to grow in our relationships with other people, it's crucial that the aspect of prayer is really crucial because any communion is based on a sharing of the same spirit. And at the deepest root of communion is the Holy Spirit who pours out his love into the people involved. So it's good to remember that prayer, John Paul II teaches, prayer, prayer in common is the basic feature of that communion at the time when the church began, and so it will always be. So it's really the, even when we're with people, when we're teaching the class, we have to remember it's the Holy Spirit that brings about communion, that helps us to understand the truth, to perceive the truth, to integrate the truth, to encounter Christ and to live his gospel. Now let's finish with prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. We give you thanks, loving Father, for the opportunity to journey through this series in the spirit of John Paul II. We give you thanks also for the witness that John Paul II was, for the way that you worked through him, the way that you taught us through him to enter into relationship with other people, to trust that other people have the capacity to perceive the truth, to integrate the truth into their daily lives. And we ask you, Lord, to not only to help us to do that with other people, but to do that ourselves at the end of the day, to see where you've been speaking to us through all the little moments of our day. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to prayerfully meditate on the scriptures each day to make sure that we remember that, that 
You are the source. You are the guide. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And we hand our lives over to you. We entrust our lives to you, to you through our Blessed Mother. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to Living the Legacy with Sister Bernadette Pike. For more, go to cradio.org.au.